Hey everybody and welcome to the Oddball Outdoors podcast. I'm your host Brett Jacobson and this is not your typical podcast. Um, Our guests are going to be outdoor enthusiasts, industry experts, as well as kind of your everyday weekend warrior and we're going to be sharing stories, tips, and techniques, maybe even some recipes, but we're going to be sharing knowledge uh, of the experiences that we have in the outdoors uh, that we all love so much. Debating is welcome, but we ask that you keep everything um, civil. Uh, people's opinions are, you know, a way of life, and we have to respect that. Uh, sit back, relax. I really hope you enjoy this podcast, and we'll see you next time. Hey folks, and welcome to the very first episode of the Oddball Outdoors podcast. Uh, Tonight I'm going to be your host. My name is Brett Jacobson, and today's show is actually going to be more of an introduction of what's to come and more of a meet and greet of your hosts. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Jason Antonacci. Jason started Oddball Outdoors, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit more about that. So Jason, how are you doing tonight? Very well, man. How are you doing? Oh, hanging in there like we were just talking, getting pumped for turkey season. I oh, got yeah. a yeah, I got a turkey tour coming up. I'm gonna try and hit three states in about a ten day period. So I've been doing nothing but preparation and research, and uh, yeah, trying to trying to fit that into a busy work schedule. But uh, but yeah. So, anyways, Jason, uh, just introduce yourself. Go give, give me a little. Uh, background of who you are what you do uh all that good stuff well i've been uh hunting for a little while now you know since 2008 i'd say i uh i worked for a painting company new construction commercial residential whatever needs to be done um as far as that goes you know i i bust ass at work and hunt when I can, get out there, fish, hunt, do everything I possibly can outdoors, just love it. Nice. Now you're, uh, so you're actually, you're just like me, we're both from upstate New York, um, which comes with its own set of challenges when it comes to hunting. And, uh, but you've been pretty successful um, where we, where we're, you know, where we live and where we hunt, you know, right around the suburbs of Rochester. Uh, you've kind of carved out quite a little uh, honey hole out there. You want to talk a little bit about some of the strategies that you use and uh, how you've kind of manipulated, uh, you know, the landscape of where you live and where you hunt? Yeah, I'm lucky to live in a, a area where their deer per square mile is booming. Uh, I live near a unhuntable park. So as far as that goes, you know, I, could, I got the, the joy of being able to be selective because deer are very plentiful. I tell people I can toss a rock into my woods and have a 50-50 chance of hitting a deer. So, I mean, there's lots of deer around. I also hunt out in uh, outside of Rochester near Albion. I got a few places, you know, for private property. Don't do much public land hunting, but I, uh, I do very well on the property I hunt, you know, so. Yeah, so... Um... Kind of the, you know, it's weird, you know, um, myself, I work in the wildlife management, my day job, I work for a company called Lou Makers, and we do wildlife management. 
uh, particularly around airports, municipalities, landfills, stuff like that, and state parks. And, um, you know, our human thumbprint right now uh, is decimating a lot of huntable land. Um, and that's not just a, a New York thing. That's a country, you know, that's around the entire country where we're obsessed with land development and more and more shopping centers and housing tracks are, you know, being built on top of places that our grandparents and, you know, our, our parents uh, were able to hunt. So you kind of, you kind of have that, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say that, that urban suburban theme going on where you hunt, right? Definitely. I got, you know, there's houses, but yet it's country. It's a lot of horse farms. It's, uh, but yet I got, you know, I got my street and I got houses on the street. They're pretty separated where I don't have a neighbor that's super close where I could go see into their house. It's quite a ways down, you know, but I live on two acres. I have permission to hunt from all my neighbors as far as track deer. And if I need to find deer on their land, there's lots of woods where I hunt as far as the, the property behind me is nothing but woods and it goes for hundreds if not thousands of acres and um so i'm i'm fortunate and it's 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 a challenge in the sense that there's people around you know there's people that walk their dogs down the street and and you you see the traffic and the deer get frequented by people so there's it's a different challenges than the big woods as people say where there's no interaction of humans and it's 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 its own set of, of hunting. It's different. Every aspect of hunting has its challenges. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the modern way of hunting right now where, you know, you know, the, the, I, I want to say in New York, it's like 96% um, of, of all land is privately owned. And of that 96%, I think only like 87% of it actually allows hunting on it which is a, a staggering stat because I mean, like when you think of New York, obviously New York city, right. But the rest of New York <laughs> is, you know, primo habitat. And I know obviously one thing that we all as hunters, there's usually two trains of thought, you know, let them, let them go, let them grow. And then there's also, you know, Hey, I need to fill my freezer. Where do you kind of fall in line with those two ideologies? Well, it's really on the person as far as that goes. Me, myself, I'm fortunate enough to be selective. But when I first started hunting, I would shoot the first thing that walked by. I didn't worry about what I was taking. I would just shoot the deer that got in front of me. That was my grandpa's motto who got me into hunting. He didn't, you know, any deer was a good deer. Uh, for me now, I, I try to limit what I take. I'll take does if they don't have fawns. I don't like shooting does with fawns. I... I try to wait for a three-year-old buck or better. I won't shoot the little bucks at all. Um, but I've learned to do that. I mean, I, I've shot my little bucks in the past and I've gotten to the point in my hunting career where I, you know, I'm very selective about what I shoot, but I'm fortunate enough to do that with the deer per square mile that I have. Nice, nice. Yeah, I kind of, <clears throat> I don't know. Obviously I, I know where you hunt and uh, I actually, you know, we have a mutual friend uh, that, that kind of, that lives in your, in your quote unquote lives neighborhood. across the street in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, he's done well for himself in life. And, uh, so I just see like this, 
these yuppie neighborhoods, you know, with, you know, and, and you're sitting out there in your tree stand on a perfect morning and you can hear somebody screaming at their dog, you know? <laughs> so, um, and, and I, you know, I guess to a certain extent, the, the major population of hunters, that's, unless you're going on state land down in, you know, the boondocks, you know, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what we're all dealing with. So, um, so yeah, so it's nice to hear that, you know, you can actually knock on doors and stuff like that. Do you have to like grease the wheels right around the holidays and drop uh, Christmas cards off or bottles? Nah, nah, I'm lucky. I, where I live, I took over my grandfather's house when he passed away. I was fortunate enough to be in a position where my aunt lives in Utah. And when my grandfather died, I was able to buy out my aunt to purchase this home. And, uh, so I, I've no, I've, my grandpa built this house in the seventies and he, he put in the street with his neighbor, his best buddy, the guy that lives at the corner will used to live at the corner. Now, uh, he passed away. He's they've, you know, it's not them anymore, but my grandpa built this road. He built this house and it's been a family property for, since I was born. I, not many can say that they're living their childhood dream, but when I was a child, you know, five, six years old, I dreamt of owning this home. And here I am, I live in that house that my grandfather built. It's, you know, and I've known all my neighbors, most of the neighbors are all people that I've known since I was born. So they, they've known me, they, it's just a matter of just saying, Hey, I'm going to come track a deer. And they don't, they don't, you know, they, of course, you know, so, and they're all accepting out here of hunting. It's not like it's a, a anti-hunting area. Everybody, it, likes the hunting as far as they eat the deer eat their flowers deer eat their gardens so for them deer are a nuisance in a sense with how many deer are in this area yeah that's nice I, you know it's kind of funny because i obviously you know i know you and it's it's funny to you know here's your here's your typical stereotypical blue collar guy wearing carhartt <laughs> living in one of the nicest parts of of rochester oh, it's, it's pinky uptown <laughs> yeah up there, up there just slaughtering you know just slaughtering you know nice mature bucks in people's backyards uh have you ever <laughs> i've seen some of your pictures on you know facebook and, and, and stuff like that um seems like you got quite a bit of turkeys you got quite a bit of pheasants that run through it it's almost like you live on a on a fucking game preserve um <laughs> i'm lucky <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm well. You're lucky. I'm jealous. But uh, so <laughs> you had mentioned that you know you're kind of you know unlike me. I grew up. My father was a hardcore, um, hardcore hunter, and I mean we had every VHS beta tape ever released of either Ted Nugent or Dan Fitzgerald, and so <clears throat> and I had Roger, none of that. Yeah, I and had Roger none of that. Ryan. Yeah, so. You know, my dad, you know, I, my, my greatest memories of hunting with my dad when I was a little kid was jumping on rabbit piles and, and you know, just scouting and, and watching them. And then when I, you know, unlike today where we had like the youth seasons and stuff, like I had to, I literally, I lived and breathed hunting from the time I was literally born. And then when I turned 12, you know, and I was able to small game hunt, go duck hunting, you know, do all that stuff. I was gone. I was in love with it. It became a passion of mine. Um, so you're kind of the opposite though. You're a little bit of a late bloomer. Uh, kind of yeah. talk about that. Well, 
I didn't have a family as far as my mother and father that hunted. My mother is a uh, on and off vegan. She's always been kind of vegetarian. Um, her father always hunted, but he died when I was really little. My grandpa on my mom's side, my grandpa on my father's side hunted, but I, you know, as far as my dad, my dad never really hunted. The story goes, my grandpa took my dad out hunting when he was like, you know, 13, 14 years old. And my dad shot a rabbit, cried, and then never hunted again. So as far as that goes, when I grew up, I didn't have hunting in my life other than my grandpa's hunted and I didn't get to go with them. It wasn't something that was, you know, in my life at home life. Uh, eventually I wanted to hunt and I always loved the, the, the bows and guns and stuff. And as a kid walking down the street one day at my home in Greece, I, I stumbled in the garbage. My neighbor was throwing out these old longbows. So <laughs> I, I got the longbow out of the garbage and I walked myself up to uh, a store that's called Archery Outfitters. It's not there anymore, but it was there. And I walked into that store by my, the store by myself and said, I got this bow. I need a string for it. And they're like, where's your mother? Where's your father? And I'm like, oh, they're in the car. I, they weren't in the car. I just walked myself up there <laughs> and uh, they're like, okay. And they, they got me a string. They told me how much it was. I had been uh, doing a paper route, so I had some money. And I, uh, I paid for the string, and I went home. And next thing you know, my mother's yelling at me because I got a bow. And, uh, my dad my dad was like, well, you know, my father's into hunting. We should have him talk to, to Grandpa Carl. That was my dad. My grandpa's name and my dad's name is Carl. But he's like, you should talk to Grandpa Carl, have him, you know, learn from somebody that hunts. So that's when I really got into hunting and started talking to my grandpa more about it. And my grandpa kind of showed me the ropes as far as hunting goes and talked to me about everything. So I didn't actually start hunting until I was much older because none of my friends hunted. I had to kind of pursue that all on my own. And I, I eventually took my hunting course and got into it. And here I am. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think we need to kind of, state this since this is our first episode you know you and I are by no means professional hunters you know we're just literally we're just everyday guys that love the outdoors we love to hunt we love to fish love to camp love to hike and um, so we kind of all have that whether it's you know later in life or whatever but we kind of all have that origin story of like you know so for me you know I grew up watching my dad and my uncle you know and I was kind of behind the scenes and just like you know really really falling in love with with being outdoors and um <laughs> and then uh kind of the the best slash worst thing that ever happened to me uh so my parents ended up getting divorced and it kind of made me have to like do everything on my own right and I, in my opinion you know it's cool to take people out hunting but it's another thing to actually like learn from your mistakes. It's another thing to kind of do it yourself, fail, 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 you know, cause especially when, you know, we're on Facebook and you see all these youth hunts. Um, and I, I'm a big, I'm a big hunter out in, uh, in the Midwest. I hunt Indiana, Ohio this year. I'm, I'm hunting Kentucky. I haven't made it to Illinois or, or Iowa just yet but that's on that's coming soon but you see these kids that go out there on youth day and they shoot 
you know, trophy bucks and it's their first deer. That was not my first year. <laughs> my mom, my mom, <clears throat> I would have her because I was too young. I would have her drop me off on the side of the road and I would go into places that I had permission to hunt and I'd either climb up on a tree or I'd, you know, save my money from doing odd jobs or returning pop can bottles and save up and try and find a tree stand, buy a tree stand and do it that way. But, uh, yeah, those early days of just, you know, those teenage years, you know, and I really didn't start actually killing deer or harvesting deer, whatever you want to say, probably until right about college. And so those first years, man, they were rough. So yeah. I, yeah, I feel like I didn't have to dig out of a trash can to find my first bow, but that's awesome. <laughs> that was my first experience with a bow and that got me into it. After that, my, uh, it's funny, my grandpa gave me a BB gun, and then, you know, without them knowing, I would go out into my backyard, into my woods, I had a gully, you know, between the, it was a big gully with a big creek, and uh, I would go out there and shoot squirrels, and birds, and squirrel uh, rabbits, and then I got yelled at, I was, they, they, my grandpa yelled at me and told me, what are you doing, you got to get your license. There's management. Like he started to get on me and press me about, you know, there's seasons and started to actually teach me the ropes of things other than just, here's your bow. Here's your, you know, here's the BB gun. He went over all the safety issues and uh, my father was clueless on all that. So it, it, it came all, all that came from my grandfather. And uh, so it wasn't an in-house thing. So when I went out and did that thing, my dad had no clue. My mom had no clue. They didn't really, you know, regulate what I was doing. So, like you're saying, I had to kind of learn on my own, and and it it was fun. But at the same time, now I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, I, I my grandpa was right. I did the right thing eventually, and started, you know, I got my license. But uh, it's been a it's been a challenge. My first official deer, as far as when I went hunting for my very first time, was all on my own. My grandpa gave me his old point blank bow. Uh, and I went out there and I ended up shooting a button buck. My very first deer was a button buck. And he came out and uh, showed me how to gut and do all that. And I had no clue what a button buck was. He said it was a button buck. I'm like, what do you mean? It's got no horns. And he's like, well, there's no, you know, I had to learn about there's nubs. You got to look for the square head. It's, it's still a male. You can tag it as a female. And I didn't know that I already filled out my tag and I tagged it with my buck tag. The very, cause they did, you know, when you take your course or like first thing you do is fill out your tag. So I did that before he even came out to show me, you know, and everything. And so it was like, those are the learning experiences, you know, yeah. you go through. So it, it's been a challenge and I, I miss my grandpa dearly cause he's no longer with us. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, I have a, I have a really good friend of mine and a hunting buddy that actually every year now, um, you know, we used to, we actually used to be coworkers and we always used to, you know, I was living out in Indiana selling payroll. He was here in New York selling payroll and we'd always go back and forth and talk about getting together and going hunting. And I kept inviting him to go on these trips to Indiana. And, uh, and finally he came and now he's one of my best friends and you know, he's, he's a hunting buddy. He's, you know, he's a, he's a brother at this point. Right. But um, he, he lost his father, I want to say like six or seven years ago. And uh, it's funny, um, 
you know, we all have that one person that we always think about, you know, when we go hunting and he actually have, has uh, some of his ashes uh, sewn into almost like a bean bag and uh, it's always in his hunting pack. So his dad is always with him and stuff like that. So it's cool to hear. Yeah. It's an awesome, awesome thing. So, um, so let's get back to this here. So for people that don't know what oddball outdoors is, um, uh, go ahead, just talk a little bit about what oddball outdoors is, what it means to you, where you came up with the idea and kind of what you envision going forward. Well, oddballs outdoors is a Facebook group. I started when the pandemic first hit the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we all got put on lockdown and at work, I was still working being a, sing, a sole proprietor uh, painter working on my own by myself. So I was allowed to continue to work. Lucky me. And uh, so I had the idea, I I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups for hunting. And I'm like, why don't I start my own? Um, so I started up oddballs outdoors um, came up with that name, just kind of on the fly. I've always been called the oddball as far as in my family, nobody else hunts really as far as, you know, other than my grandpa. And uh, so that's what I, I, I kind of dubbed that my group and it kind of snowballed. I invited a bunch of my friends and they invited their friends and it just kind of snowballed into nothing huge yet, but it's ever growing. And uh, it's, it's hopefully going to bloom into something big and people enjoy it. Yeah. I know um, when we talked about, you know, kind of the next step, because, you know, uh, you and I, we actually used to shoot in the same archery league. And then, you know, we kind of followed each other on Facebook. And then I get this oddball outdoors request. And, uh, you know, I join it. And the first thing I noticed is like, man, there's, there's like 1500 people in this group. And it's not just New Yorkers, it's people all over the country. And, uh, and we started talking, I know we went ice fishing one day. And uh, we kind of came up with this, this idea to have a podcast. And, um, you know, we kind of shared, we kind of went back and forth on, you know, wouldn't it just be cool to kind of have people just like us, you know, because the world right now, the hunting industry right now is so saturated. And, uh, but then, you know, it's kind of like that whole, um, you know, let them grow or fill the freezer mentality when it comes to hunting or like, you know, even, you know, uh, with fishing, um, you're either wearing shirts that have a shitload of sponsors on it, or you're just out there with your kids. And, uh, you know, the outdoor channel, it's very saturated. And then even now YouTube is very saturated. And then there's all these, these podcasts, you know, where you're, it's the same people that you're watching on TV talking to you. And it just doesn't represent the, you know, the hunters that, that we are or the hunters that we hunt with, you know, yeah, it would be really nice to all of us be, you know, on team Realtree. Uh, but uh, that's just not who we are. And that's not kind of what we envision for um, this Facebook group turned podcast and then hopefully turned YouTube channel and stuff like that. So I know not to, to suck the air out of the room, but what we envisioned going forward was kind of a, a platform to have people on that are just like us to tell us their stories and, and, uh, and their tips and their tricks. The real um, hunters in a sense. 
as far as not the commercialized, not the hunting on, on game preserves that are fenced in with giant deer. And it's, it's just, I got my hunting clothes are old as me almost in some of them. Some are older as far as I got a couple of my grandpa's gear, you know, it's, it's, it's not that, that, that thousand dollar out, you know, outfit that that's marketable. I got some faded equipment, you know I mean? It's, it's, it's real life stories. And I hope, you know, the majority of hunters out there can't afford all the fanciest things. And that's where it seems to be going with all these shows. Everybody's got the newest and best. They got the big, big deer that they're on these big, huge farms. Not everybody has those fortunes, you know. So it's, it's interesting. And hopefully we can, you know, show people what hunting is for us and get some others on here that do the same thing. Absolutely. And I don't think, yeah. And I mean, just, you know, obviously uh, we've been prepping for this. So uh, we do, and, and we'll get to that later in the episode of uh, who we got coming up as guests and stuff like that. We'll talk a little bit about that, but um, I, I, I want to get your, your opinion on this because this is definitely a topic that, you know, that we're definitely aiming towards our audience. Right. So, you know, I, I want to get your, your, the trends in the outdoor industry right now. We kind of just touched up on it, but what are some of the trends that you feel passionate about that you're seeing, uh, whether you like it or maybe even dislike it? Well, some of the trends I don't like right off the bat are the commercialization, all these gimmicks, lots of camouflage gimmicks, lots of uh, scent control gimmicks, things that are, are essentially just, you know, you buy it and it might work, it might not. Uh, it's It's that it's it's you never know and a lot of times hunting seems to be more of a chance and luck in a sense where you can increase your your odds with certain scent control and certain clothes you wear and the gimmicks that they have out there but in a sense if you don't do your homework and 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 scout and know where the deer are or even have deer on your property you know if some like some areas in new york don't have deer per square mile to see deer on the regular basis to see a deer while hunting. Some people go all, all season and see two or three deer where I could see five deer in a single sit within an hour, you know, and, and some people just don't have that luxury. So no matter what gimmicks you buy into some areas just aren't going to produce no matter what you use. Some of the things I like are, you know, the, the camaraderie that, that these Facebook groups are presenting as far as you can go onto social media groups and you can get with, like-minded people and you can get with hunters in your area you can get some tips you can some of it's good some of it's you know you got to filter through that stuff on social media but you can always find the people that are willing to help and that's what's awesome about it i think the more we stick together as a as a community of hunting the better it will be there's lots there's lots of things on facebook that is negative but at the same time if you filter through that you can find the positives in it so that's that's where I hope you know with this and with other things we can we can trend more towards the positive than the negative, and help others out there to do what we all love, which is hunting, fishing, just enjoying the outdoors. Yeah, that's right. That's I mean that's that's awesome. That's very well put. And uh, you know, and that's one thing you know, like like I do, you know, I work for a company and I do a podcast. Uh, I host a podcast for, for, for my company that I work for. 
And, um, you know, that's why I was really, really excited that we talked about doing this and, and you asked me to be a part of this. Um, the Facebook stuff, I agree. There, you got to filter through it, right? But here's a perfect example, right? Here's a real life example that's happened to me the last two days. I went on a Facebook group and, uh, you know, not to, to name names, but uh, <laughs> it's an out-of-state hunting group. <clears throat> and I asked, you know, hey, I, I, I'm planning a, a trip. I'm coming from New York. I plan on hunting, you know, in Kentucky. Anybody got any tips or any public land options that, you know, are close to the southern Indiana border? And I would say about 60% of it was very helpful. The other 60% were people basically telling me to, to, to fuck off <laughs> and uh, stay in New York and all this, you know, it was yeah. like very territorial. Calling you a yank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, man, I, I'm from a town that has one stoplight, man. Like, you know, yeah. and, uh, and it's funny, you know, I told this story the other day. Um, so I, I hunt, I'm a big public land hunter. Okay. Um, I watch the hunting public channel. Those guys are doing it right in my mind. You know, you see them on YouTube. Um, you know, they do have some sponsors here and there, but it's not, it's, it's mainly just Onyx. and those guys are down to earth. You know, when they run into people out in, in, in you know, public land hunting, they're, they're chatting them up and stuff. But um, every year I go to Indiana and I hunt um, Hoosier National Forest. And it's 19 million acres of public land hunting, right? Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But it's all hill country and it's, you know, hills and haulers. And uh, the first year, you know, you talk about gimmicks and luck and stuff like that, right? So the first year of uh, a close hunting buddy, ex-hunting buddy of mine, we'll We'll just say it like that, right? Uh, we drive out to Indiana. It takes us like 10 hours to get there. We drive through the night. And this is before Onyx and that, um, the, the Hunt app uh, was even in existence, right? So we are pinning stuff on Google Earth. And we get down there, and the first challenge we run into is there's no cell service. So we can't even find the maps. So we're driving through dirt roads, back roads. There's no sign that say like, oh, this is Hoosier National Forest. You can hunt here. And so we're like knocking on doors. We're asking people. We're stopping hikers. Like, and, no, and everybody was really, really friendly, right? And um, we, uh, we don't find any of the areas that we found in six, all summer long and all the beginning of deer season here we pinned all these places and we didn't find any of them. Right. <laughs> so we just go in and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to trust, trust my, my, my ability. And we find a couple benches, some ravines. We start looking for deer trails, deer tracks. And, uh, I end up, we end up setting a stand up. Um, and then about another mile down the road, we set up another stand and we're just going to start there and we're going to work our way around. Well, 10 hours of driving, 12 hours of scouting, right? <laughs> Going on next to no sleep. Uh, I end up uh, shooting the biggest buck of my life 45 minutes into this hunt. And it was so, e it was the luckiest thing ever. I mean, I would love to sit here and tell everybody how awesome and skilled, whatever. I literally just walked around the woods, found some deer sign, 
found a thicket, set up on the edge, and 40 minutes in. You found some sign, and you hope for yeah. the best. Yeah, and we found that we found that spot. That was the last spot we checked before we went back to the hotel to grab some sleep. And uh, we hung it up that afternoon, went back, ate dinner, got some sleep, got in extra early, sat in that stand, and 40 minutes after daylight, you know, <clears throat> a doe starts walking up the edge with a six-pointer behind her, and then my buck, which was officially scored at 151 inches and three-eighths, comes cruising through, and he's going up and down, and he walks 20 yards, and, you know, the rest is, the rest is history. But, um, but it's, you know, that, that old mentality of just like boots on the ground and like using technology and stuff like that, opposed to like, you know, oh, I'm going to hang Ozonics in this, you know, or I'm going to go pay a guide or I'm going to, you know, I've never been in here and this guy's going to just walk me in in the dark or drive me in, put me up in a tree stand. And, you know, on this, on their trail cameras, they've had the same buck walk by at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> for the last four days and that's gonna be hard to go to unknown land like that though you know yeah it's definitely a challenge and you know i definitely encourage people you know um get out there and do it man take a step back go old school it's good to get hunt different property good different land and stuff like that but you know to back to my question that i asked you yeah that that trend though you know, of like all these Facebook haters and, you know, all these people bashing and, and fighting and arguing and bickering like, like, you know, school kids. Um, that society now, though, it seems, it seems like as much good as there is bad, you got to, like I was saying, you got to filter through some of that, that negative comments. If you're with social media, if you're going to post something, you got to be willing to accept the fact that there's going to be people out there that just want to bash on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm a part of a group that I was in before I started oddballs It's called New York hunt club. And it's a great Facebook group. There's lots of, of people that like to joke around. It's like that hunt camp, hunt camp mentality as far as everybody likes to joke and have fun. There's no bashing allowed. Uh, you can you can have fun and joke with people, but at the same time, they're not going to let you sit there and bash on somebody for their choices they make. And that camaraderie, that 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 group mentality is awesome. When when you find the negative, you know, usually that that group sticks together and they'll they'll jump on that one person that's bashing everybody and thinks that they know best and thinks they're the greatest hunter of all time, and and their opinion's the only opinion when there's lots of, you know, your opinion's great. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It, it matters how you treat others that have a different one. And to me, that's it. It's, it's how you treat somebody else who has a different opinion. We all don't agree on things. You know, I got things I don't agree with with you and you got things you don't agree with with me. But yeah, we can still be friends and, and stick together with the fact that we love hunting. And that's where we need to be with the hunting with with the hunting community we need to stick together with how much people out there that are against it especially with everything that's in the the politics right now with the whole gun legislations and everything else with with politics politics is a touchy subject most of yeah. these groups don't allow politic talk and there's a reason for that because we all as hunters there's there's republicans there's democrats there's liberals there's conservatives but they all hunt 
there's plenty of conservative hunters and plenty of liberal hunters. It's, you know, we're all, we're all the same community, yo. We're all hunters in a sense. So if we don't stick together and we, we focus on that negative always, it's just going to tear us apart. So it's, it's, it's important that we, we try to steer away from that and try to stick together and try to be positive to one another. And that's what I hope, you know, that's what I, with my group, the groups I'm in, those are the groups I stay in are the groups that are positive and not negative. They don't allow that kind of stuff. They don't allow bashing. Some of the groups I'm in don't even allow swearing. Like uh, I'm in a group, Bow Hunters of America, which is, you know, 200,000 strong in this group and, and they don't allow swearing. So it's like that group is, is constant policing of the group and, and keeping, cause there's kids, you know, kid, they want to keep the kids and kids friendly and, and the James Reese who runs that group, I actually ended up talking with, I hope to get him on the show sometime. And, uh, he, 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 you know, I, I swore, he told me not to, and I under, I asked him why I'm like, you know, swearing in a group on Facebook, it's, you're going to be policing this all day long. What are you doing? You know? And he's like, he sent me his phone number. I never met this dude or talked to that. He's in Oklahoma actually. And he's like, here's my phone number. Call me if you got the balls. So I was like, all right, I'll call this guy. Right. So I called him. The dude's super passionate. He, he has kids and he wants kids to be able to view it without any worry from parents. And I totally understood what he was talking and where he was coming from. And it, and it brought a whole new light to the whole thing for me, as far as, you know, I'll allow swearing in my group because that's how I was raised as far as that goes, but that's his group. He's 200,000 strong. And if he wants to run his group, how he wants to run it, and that's, that's great. And, and to, to the positive energy this dude had was just awesome. Yeah. So that's what we need more of is positive instead of all that negative focus. Yeah, just to kind of build off your point there, because I mean, you made that was that was some really good points. Um, you know, this country right now, I mean, we're 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 just so divided, right? And uh, so when you talk about the hunting community, you know, that as well is kind of a little bit divided as well. Um, you know, I mean, think about it this way: I mean, we've all probably had a trail camera stolen. We've all had a tree stand stolen. We've all had somebody ruin a turkey hunt or we've all been fishing and had somebody come fish right next to us. You know, we've yeah. all seen people litter in the woods. We've seen, you know what I mean? Like we've oh, yeah. all seen it and, and maybe some of us have actually done it. But, uh, you know, when you think about that for a second, though, um, you know, we can really ruin or put a bad taste in somebody's mouth. Think about, you know, going back to, you know, when you were first starting out, when I was first starting out, imagine doing all this hard work and putting all this time and effort in and you go out to sit in your, in your spot and you, your stand's gone on opening day. You know what I mean? It like, sucks. yeah. It's it, happened to my buddy. I've yeah. never personally had a stand stolen. I've had a camera. Well, you hunt out of a tree, yeah, you hunt out of a playground treehouse behind <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Hey, I got Albion where there's plenty of 250 <laughs> plus acres where there's you know it's open. <laughs> yeah. so you, you hunt off your sunroof. <laughs> I hunt off my deck. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a blind on your deck. <laughs> That's right. But no, yeah. It, it, it happens, and and, and you're fortunate oh, yeah. enough to nobody has stolen your stuff, but like. 
you know, it's definitely a divide. I mean, there's not only that aspect of it where there's a lot of really, really uh, people without a moral compass walking around the woods. But Too then there's a, a yeah, but then also like on social media, and you got to be careful what you post because people will be like, what property were you hunting? You can't hunt that property. Or they find out that you shoot a really nice deer and then next year, guess who just leased that property out from under you? I've had that happen to a, with a friend of mine. <laughs> I took, he comes home from the military. I show, you know, I put him out and, or he's on leave from serving our country in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, he's like, I'm going to be home for two weeks right during the middle of bow season. You know, you got a spot for me. I'm like, yeah, sure. I take him out there. Uh, you know, he sees a ton, shit ton of deer. He shoots a buck and then he comes back from the military and then <laughs> next deer season, he leased the land that I took him on. And I'm like, yeah, like, dude, come on, man. But, uh, but no, that's, that's good stuff. I'm glad that, you know, we kind of share the same uh, mentality when it comes to, um, you know, just trying to just keeping it real, you know, like, and, and what I mean by that is like, we really kind of have to stay together as a group because, you know, our core beliefs, our, our passion, we're always under attack by somebody and we don't need to always. be attacked by people in our groups. No, exactly. When our own group starts caving in on itself over trivial, trivial things, as far as, you know, like your ethics versus my ethics, everybody's ethics are different. We were all raised different. Uh, some, like you said earlier, you know, some are out there for let them, you know, let them go, let them grow. And then some want to fill the freezer. It doesn't matter what they're shooting. I don't care what your opinion is. You bought your tags. You hunt how you hunt. I'll hunt how I hunt. Just don't tell me what to do. You know, <laughs> if, if I, if I'm coming to hunt your land, sure. You could tell me not to shoot the little deer or tell me to shoot whatever. I'll abide by what you want. But when it's, you know, like a random stranger on Facebook and you're trying to tell me, Oh, I don't shoot that. Why would you shoot that? That's just, you know, doing harm to our own community. Yeah. And it shouldn't be like that, but unfortunately that's how it is. And that's why, that's why I like the groups that I'm in. I run my group where that's not allowed. I'm in my group in that I'm in as far as New York Hunt Club. That's not allowed. You can't just go bashing and telling people how to do things and without you get booted. They'll just kick you right out of the group. No questions asked. And I'm the same. I'll kick you right out of my group. You want to start bashing on people. That's it. You're gone. You know, like we should all stick together no matter what. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, one of the big debates that's going on right now in our home state of New York is crossbow hunting. <laughs> yeah. You know, man, I saw some, I saw some threads today that some were brutal just, ones. <laughs> oh my gosh, just downright brutal. So for, for people that are listening to the show that, that, that don't hunt New York or they're not from New York, right? We've never had crossbows in New York. It has never been, you can have them, but you can't hunt with them for certain things. Sure, right? And then I want to say what, maybe a couple years ago, we introduced um, a special season for crossbow hunters, but they had to be, like, disabled or, like, have, like, a medical excuse from, a, like, a doctor's note, like you're missing class at school or some bullshit. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, it kind of – it set this whole state on fire basically uh give me your thoughts on where you stand on uh on that issue i got a crossbow <laughs> i know i'm looking at it right uh, now <laughs> it's, well i uh 
it doesn't bother me. It, they, the DEC put out tags, and to me, whatever implement you want to use to take your animal or harvest your animal, it's, you know, it doesn't matter to me. You want to use a crossbow? Sure. You want to use a rifle? Whatever. They're putting out tags. They regulate it based on how many numbers were killed the previous year. So, you know, they, they've been doing a good job in a sense for, cert, for certain things, especially deer, you know, and some areas are plentiful. So it's tough in New York because some areas have no deer. Some areas are just overwhelmed and overpopulated. But as far as crossbows go, you know, that, that expands the hunting for bow. And people don't like it during bow because you can reach out and touch something with your crossbow versus a compound. Now, I remember when I was young, my grandparent, my grandpa and my great uncles, uh, the argument with my grandpa was the compound bows were going to ruin hunting. And uh, he, he, he would complain about compound bows, just as people are complaining about crossbows right now. And eventually, guess what? He got a compound bow. It didn't ruin hunting. And it, it changed the landscape of hunting. But guess what? It didn't ruin it. Same thing with crossbows. Crossbows isn't going to ruin hunting. It's going to change the landscape. Numbers are going to change what tags are allowed and where, you know, the DEC is going to regulate things and it's going to be tweaked. But right now, you know, crossbows to me are fine. And I hunt, I took my turkey this year. You know, I took a turkey with my crossbow this year. Uh, I tried to take a deer, but I was too picky. I let too many deer walk by. So I never ended up taking a deer with it. I ended up shooting a, I brought it out for muzzle loader late. We have a late muzzle loader and crossbows are allowed during the late bow season with muzzle loader. And uh, I brought out the crossbow. I ended up smoking a, a coyote, my first coyote with it. And uh, I see, you know, I mean, yeah, you could touch something a little further than your compound, but with the compounds now, some of these compounds that are coming out, you can, you can shoot pretty far with these compounds yeah. and they're very accurate. You yeah, know, not to, not to brag. Out. Not to brag, but I've made a I've made a forty nine yard shot on a on a trophy buck and and put it right where it needed to go, uh, and I am in no like do not take that the way that it sounds. I yeah. miss my fair look. <laughs> I miss three shooter bucks, and when I say shooter, when we hunt in Indiana, it's got you know I, I try and go over one hundred and twenty inches or at least three and a half years old. I missed three in the same trip, uh, and the closest one was like seven yards. So I, by no means, and with the with the crossbow, everybody calls it the cross gun, you know, because it's got a scope, trigger, mount it to your shoulder like a gun. Got it's still slinging an arrow. It's still using a string. It's still got its limitations of one shot, and you got to reload it. It takes forever. Good luck getting yeah. a second shot. Although they got that new one out from Excalibur, the the dual shot there from Max Caliber that allows you to have two arrows, mm -hmm. <laughs> which yeah. are two bolts. But uh, as far as crossbows go, I mean, it's, it's, everybody's got their opinion and yeah. I don't, I personally am for it to be all season. As far as bow season goes, if, if you want to use a crossbow, go ahead. They gave you a tag, you know, use it. If, if, if it helped, it'll help more like, like my, uh, my grandfather couldn't pull his bow back at the yeah. end of his life. He would have been out there hunting otherwise if he was, you know, was able yeah. to use the crossbow. And he never got into the crossbow thing. And I tried telling him, get a crossbow, mm -hmm. get a crossbow. But he never wanted to. Yeah. I ended up getting one, though. I love it. 
Yeah. Like one of the trends and we could talk about, we're going to talk about this here shortly, but one of the trends uh, across the country is the decline of hunters. Um, you know, it, 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 for all intents and purposes, it is a dying sport. I mean, it's pretty much the equivalent of like, you know, like freaking Thanos snapped his finger and then all of a sudden half the population of hunters just stopped hunting. And, uh, and one of that is, you know, one of the reason is, is that generation that got us into it, you know, our parents and our grandparents, um, you know, it's a lot harder for them to hunt. My father, you know, blue collar guy his whole life. He's a plumber, HVAC, you know, he's tore his rotator cuff. I don't know how many times, right? And uh, if it wasn't for, you know, crossbows being legal in Indiana, he wouldn't be out there bow hunting. And <clears throat> so when that, that logic is applied here, you know, you don't want to see, I mean, it's great. Sometimes there's pros and cons of not having as many people out in the woods. However, you know, if I had a choice to, to hunt with my dad or my grandfather or a buddy of mine that can't pull a bow back and they've got to use a crossbow, by all means. And then also, those things are pretty freaking accurate. And not to steal somebody's tagline, but, you know, <laughs> if you can put something in my hands where that deer, you know, didn't go 20, like, by all means, let's roll. So I'm actually – I'm kind of flirting with the idea of, uh, of buying one and, and maybe trying to shoot a doe or two. But, uh, but if Get I it. had a choice, if I had, <laughs> what's that? Get it. I said. Yeah. But if I had a choice to shoot the biggest buck of my life with a crossbow, compound bow, a shotgun or a rifle, give me that compound bow every I'm day. I'm the same way though. Week, my, my first love is a compound. You know, or, well, my first love with bow was actually that long bow I found. I mean, that thing, yeah. I, I slung so many arrows out of that thing. And I got a recurve now. That, that long bow is long and gone. But I got a recurve, and I got my son. My son's first. My son's nine now. But at six years old, I had him shooting the recurve I learned on. And uh, it's, it, it's, yeah. it, it's tradition. Like yeah. they call it. They call it traditional equipment. And, and like Native Americans were slinging, you know, they were making bow and arrows out of sticks and string that they strung together with nap and flint, you yeah. know, out of rocks. So yeah. for Which us, I have like no now, desire to do, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother. That's when I retired, maybe I'll worry about some yeah. craziness. Yeah. But, but that's, that's what we've come so far. And people complain about their equipment now and want to bitch about everything and it's like look at you know back in the day they had sticks and stones that they were chucking at rock you know chucking at deer so it's like we have no right to complain the the you can't shoot with your equipment maybe you should practice a little bit better you know yeah yeah absolutely um what are some of the other things that you know um that you kind of see right now that you know this sounds really weird but like <laughs> What's bothering you right now when it comes to hunting? Like some of some of the other things, like me personally, right? You know, I can't. Oh man, like oh, I'm trying to word this correctly without sounding like a like an idiot, but I can't remember the last time I watched the Outdoor Channel, right? I can't yeah. remember the last time I grew up. Look, I grew up on Dan Fitzgerald, Roger Raglan. 
you know, I grew up on those guys, you know, um, Ted Nugent, right? But, um, and then, but, like, I really, like, my age group, when Michael Waddell started Realtree Road Trips, you know, like, that to me was like, oh, my God, you know, the camaraderie that they showed, the behind-the-scenes stuff, some of the educational, the tips and tricks that he would talk about. And those, I remember, then those first couple seasons of Realtree Road Trip, then they were everything to me. And then it just, like, the whole industry became so commercialized. And, you know, it, it, a 30-minute show became about 20 minutes of advertising and marketing. If not and, more. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, um, you like the recovery scene, the camera's already behind the deer and they're tracking it and it's like staged. Everything just seems so staged. staged yeah. Yeah. To try and get that high quality film, you know, the perfect shot or like, you know, you watch, you know, um, you know, the Drury brothers, for example. Right. Those guys are monsters. Don't get me wrong. Right. But they've got 45 deer that they're targeting that are over the age of four and a half, five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half. Right. And, you know, they're getting mad at the cameraman because there's a 200 inch buck 20 yards away broadside, but there's a tree in front of the cameraman. And so they don't shoot, they let it go. And then, you know, their whole season's ruined. And I'm like, you know, and then they cut to a commercial break where they advertise 19 products that they're on the commercial for. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I stopped. I really stopped watching the Outdoor Channel, and that stuff really bothers me. So now, if it's not on YouTube and it's not some small town, small, you know, small town guy, or if it's not the hunting public guys, I'm not watching it. For me, I watch almost absolutely nothing the thing I don't have time if I had more time I might pick and choose some things but I got my family I got work I got my own hunting I got my own life as far as upkeep of my house and I, and I don't have the time to sit down like I don't even have cable you know and it's 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 a challenge to try to sit down for an hour to watch something on tv that's why this the the doing the podcast thing and people are more inclined to go to the podcast now it seems because of the fact that they don't have the time and they could just throw in their headphones and listen to some talk about hunting and fishing that they like and what with the commercialization of everything it really has become a damper on things because everybody just sees commercials you you want to see a good buck down all you're getting is force fed some brand or some product that that might or might not work and they're just selling it to try to make some money I, as far as hunting, you know, it's, it's tough when you try to put products involved in it. Hunting should used to be as far as when we, you know, as a species, we needed to hunt to survive. Now you can go to this, you don't have to hunt to survive. You can go to the, the, to the store and get some food, but guess what? Like during this pandemic, what happens when them stores don't have food? You know, like just recently, the stores that you go to the stores when the pandemic hit, there was no meat on the shelves no no toilet paper no no products to to survive off of at the store you're not gonna be able to go to that sometime and what happens then people are left to fend for themselves so to have that back tool of hunting and and, and knowing nature to me everybody 
should have to learn how to, if you eat meat, you should know how to gut and butcher an animal. You should be prepared for the inevitable if something, you know, the worst case scenario were ever to happen. And not enough of our society now can, can know how to butcher and prep an animal to eat. And that's scary in my eyes because what happens then? You know, you, you're going to, so many knock the hunters, but yet they go to the store and buy meat and don't understand where their food's coming from and what it takes to put food on their table. So that, that to me is a thing that I hate as far as, you know, I got close personal friends that don't hunt, never hunted, will knock hunters. I got friends that don't hunt and, and know what it's about. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's, it's a dying art. So it's, it's scary to me. And I think more need to be in touch with our, our human instincts and our, our nature, what nature kind of intended for us. We, we, this is nature, you know? So I don't understand why so many are against it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a touchy subject, you know? Um, It's like you said, it's a dying art, but you know, it's also a dying industry, right? That's why I think it's so important that, you know, I, I feel, I feel like as a hunter and as a fisherman, as an outdoorsman, it's, you know, it's my job to do two things, right? It's my job to introduce the sport to the next generation, right? Uh, and it's also my job to, um, you know, basically, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk, you know, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to get angry or upset, because somebody's attacking me on Facebook, you know, I kind of got to take the high road. I can't, you know, dip down to, you know, that level. Um, or if somebody, you know, somebody shoots a bigger buck than I do or catches a bigger fish than I do, I'm a competitive asshole. Don't get me wrong, all right? <laughs> I am competitive. But I got to shake their hand and be proud and be happy for them and, and not be a hater. You know, it's so easy to just be a hater nowadays, especially with social media and, and oh, the way yeah. the world is. So, you know, well, that's I think the thing is it's the hating aspect. I, I get enjoyment when my friends shoot a big buck or catch yeah. a big fish. Don't bother me one bit. Like my buddy Pat last year, the past few years, actually, my buddy Pat has been the big buck hunter. He's the one that's taken the biggest deer out of all of us. He's the one that's been on top and he went, a stretch of, I don't know, 10 years where he didn't shoot a deer, let alone shoot anything big. And it was, you know, he had, he had his time where we thought he just like, didn't want to hunt. Like it was like, why are you even out there if you're not going to pull the trigger on anything? But you know, he was Mr. Selective and guess what? Now look at him the past few years, he's been the top dog with all our friends as far as he's the one that shoots the big deer. And I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic no matter who it is. Even people, random strangers on Facebook, I, I get enjoy when I see that smile on somebody's face. That brings a smile to my face. I don't get how some people can get jealous over the fact that somebody else shot a deer or somebody else caught this big fish. Like mm-hmm. people get mad at it, and it's it's the the sociology of it is interesting to me. Why people yeah. react how they react. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this, uh, so my group of friends that we go out to uh, Indiana every year, uh, you know, we call ourselves the wolf pack. Right. And it's such (laughs) an interesting, diverse group of characters. Right. So my one friend, you know, we call him Indiana Dick, you know, he's, uh, (laughs) he's a farmer. Uh, (laughs) 
that has the best mullet you'll ever see. And uh, <laughs> I mean, he's just a great, he's the nicest guy. And, you know, the last, the last two years, man, like we all talk about it, you know, um, man, we really want him to get it. Like we want him to shoot a monster. Right. And then um, my friend, Brian Godfrey, who's actually going to be uh, the next guest on our show this week, uh, as well as he's going to actually co-host some of these episodes with us. Um, yeah. Brian is a phenomenal human being, right? He's a great guy. He's a great friend of mine, but he's got, he's hunted in Wyoming. He's hunted in Montana. He was, uh, he worked for the NWTF. He's taken wounded warriors. He's taken veterans. He's taking kids out. He is the greatest example, in my opinion, of what we all should be when it comes to, you know, hunting. He, he's taken me turkey hunting and called in a bird for me that we actually have on video that, you know, we'll probably post. Um, you know, he's gotten his girlfriend, Jessica, uh, in on hunting. Um, you know, he still takes his dad out and, you know, he does all these you know, crazy things for his dad to try and get his dad a deer, which I was a part of this year too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, last year he, he actually, um, you know, was uh, furloughed, laid off, whatever you want to talk about because COVID-19 by the NWTF. So he had a rough year and, but then, you know, deer hunting comes along and this guy, I can't, I'm not going to ruin it for you. He had a hell of a season last year. Um, and then, you know, my father, who, you know, he's, he's 60 years old, he comes to camp, my butt, and then uh, another buddy of mine, Nick, brought his dad, who was recovering from, you know, cancer, um, and so we hunt as a group, right, we always uplift each other, but the, the, the joke around camp is, uh, you know, they're, all, they're always like, man, guy can hang a stand, because somehow, some way. I always end up hanging everybody else's tree stand and it gives me no greater pleasure than when I hang a stand and one of those guys goes out there, sits in it, not only sees deer, but shoots a deer and yeah. and his father who came last year, um, they came in like we did. We arrived at camp at like midnight, one o'clock in the morning and they had never seen, they didn't know anything. And I'm like, all right, you're going to sit in this stand. You're going to sit in this stand. And his father, um, who's been hunting his entire life, first morning, I walk him into the stand, walk him right up there, tell him where the deer are going to come from. And I mean, we've only been in Indiana four hours, right? And uh, he sees 10 bucks the first morning and four of them were just giants. And he flat out said, he comes up to the truck and he's like, thank you so much. That was the best hunt I have ever been on. And I'm like, did you shoot something? He's like, <laughs> didn't even need to shoot anything. And he tells the story and it was just great. So like kind of that, yeah, like being happy for others and doing things for others and like, you know, having that opportunity to hang a tree stand for somebody and give them the greatest hunt of their life. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It is. It, it is. With my friends, you know, we got, I'm, I'm my buddy, Scott, who has a kind of a caretaker of a property. We hunt out there and I'm fortunate to be able to hunt it, you know, 
and all my friends are the same way in a sense. We all a good close knit group of friends. Um, I got my buddy Scott's brother Jeff and Pat I've mentioned, and uh, we got my buddy's dad Jesse. There's so many of our friends out there that are all got the same mentality, the smile on their face after you shoot something, and we all help each other to go out there and put up stands together. We try to you know that camaraderie. And, and it, it's the time spent with the friends and family we love, you know, that that makes everything worthwhile. Because if you don't have the, the close knit and you're doing it all on your own, some people are out there that do it all on their own. And I, I it's more power to them. But I can't I've never had that. I've never been been all solo other than that first hunt. I had my friends, but they weren't with me. But as but now it's we go out as a group. You know, we all go to our own locations. But it's, you know, hunting with somebody versus hunting alone is different, you know. To, and then when you, when you see your friend shoot something and you, if you don't get a smile and you get jealous over it, I don't get it. Like, I don't have a friend that's like that in a sense, you know. I don't want a friend like that. No, I know. I weeded all those friends out. Like, why would you want somebody in your life that's nothing but negative and jealous of something you're yeah. doing and putting that energy towards it to, to – to see you know if i shoot something all my buddies are ecstatic and that's that's what you want out of friends you yeah. want somebody to be happy for you absolutely so you know a lot of good stuff um you know we'll, we'll try and wrap this up here so um in, in in your opinion or you know in your own words right so going forward let's let's end on this if let this be your recruiting moment, you know? <laughs> so, so just touch up on who you want listening to this podcast. Who do you want following us on Facebook, you know, and kind of, kind of give me your elevator speech there. Well, I want people that are respectful. You know, I want people that want that, that hunting camp mentality. Uh, anybody that, that loves the outdoors, you know, like we need to stick together as a community as hunting fishing goes. We, we need people to be positive. Um, I want people to have their kids involved. I want people to get out and get their families involved if possible. Like I've taken out my wife to come hunting and she, you know, she's, she's not a hunter by any means, you know? but I mean, I want, you know, involve the family, involve the community. As far as, you know, if you got neighbors, you know, talk to your neighbors, be respectful to your neighbors. So many don't, so many people get angry at their neighbors for what they do. Why don't you go talk to them? You know, like have a conversation as an adult and, and talk about what you like and try to be civil. The more we put out that negative energy, the worse it's going to be for our own community. So for people that want to come and join and, and be a part of a group that, that is positive, that's what I'm hoping this attracts. Yeah. So, you know, two things uh, just come to my mind, right? So, um, which you never hear anymore. And maybe I don't hear it cause I don't watch the outdoor channel enough or whatever, but you know, um, real tree had a great tagline, right? You know, after every, at the end of every episode, when you get a chance, take a child hunting and fishing and show them the outdoors. Right. And then Mossy Oak is, uh, uh, family friends in the outdoors, I believe. Right. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. <clears throat> and, um, so I agree with you there. You know, and I'll take it one step further. 
for all those people that are out there, you know, on our Facebook group or, or are coming or listening to this or subscribing to this podcast, if you have a story to tell or you feel passionate about a subject, you know, we want you on this show. Um, you know, you're not, you know, yeah, it would be great to have, you know, it would be great to have Wild Game Nation on this show one day or, you know, Major League bow hunting or Major League Fishing. But, you know, the show is definitely designed for, for guys like us and girls like, you know, and, and females in the outdoors, uh, which one of our upcoming episodes is actually the Fishing Chicks, which they started a YouTube channel and they've got their own fishing show. And I'm excited to have them on because, you know, the female demographic in the outdoors is the fastest growing <laughs> community. Um, they're kicking our butts when it comes to numbers right now. They really are. Um, and I'm excited to have that on there. So um, we'll, end on, we'll end on this. Um, give me one, just one good thing that you wish, you know, when, when we're all said and done, say, say, you know, a year from now, we've been able to do with this podcast. One good thing would be to attract more, more kids and to get more of the family sense involved. Um, we need, we need everybody to be involved, not just one, the male role, like you're saying, we need the women to be involved too and be accepting of the sport. And to, to make this thing grow, we're going to need all, all people, not just the men. And we need the kids to be involved as well. And, and family, you know, family is important. You can't, you can't change who your family is, but your friends, you know, your friends are the family you get to choose. So if you choose wisely and you make, you make good friends along the way, you could do very well in life and it's all about who you surround yourself with. And that's what I want to be. I want to be surrounded by people that love the outdoors and just want to be happy. Perfect, man. Couldn't have said that any better myself. So, um, like I said, you know, next episode, uh, the next two episodes. So we got Brian Godfrey, uh, coming on board. And then we also have, um, uh, the fishing chicks, which are on, uh, they have their own YouTube channel. Um, those are going to be our two next episodes. Um, yeah, we'll end on this, man. You know, I'm really excited to see where this goes. I'm really excited to be a part of this. Um, and, and I hope a lot of people, when they, when they listen to this episode, this is not how every episode is going to be. This is just you and I, you know, basically sharing our beliefs and what we want this to become. And hopefully, you know, that attracts people, you know, like-minded to, uh, to, to subscribe and, and to, to stay tuned right. for our next episode. Um, so yeah, on behalf right. of Oddball Outdoors, um, my name's Brett Jacobson. This is Jason Antonacci. Um, we're really excited to see where this goes. And uh, we can't wait to uh, talk to you. Uh, talk to you next time. Thanks.